Okay, members, the sitting is resumed. Uh, it's time for questions to the Minister for Infrastructure, and I call Emma Sheeran. The Driver and Vehicle Agency Driving Test Booking Service opened for all customers on the 10th of May and provides everyone with a valid theory test pass certificate with equal opportunity to book a driving test, regardless of their past test history or previous priorities. The DVA has made additional test slots available between now and the end of August, and bookings for September and October have also been released to accommodate more learners. Since the reopening of services in late April up to the 31st of May, the DVA has conducted over 6,700 driving tests, of which 5,500 were Category B private car driving tests. This is 35% over and above the normal monthly average. As of the 1st of June, there were approximately 13,500 Category B tests booked in the system, with around 2,000 slots that remain available to book across the network of test centres. The DBA has taken a range of measures to maximise the availability of test slots, including the recruitment of additional examiners and the planned provision of new temporary test centres. Temporary test centres at Cookstown and Oma are expected to open for appointments later this month. The DBA also continues to offer driving tests on a Saturday and at certain centres on Sundays where it is suitable to do so without compromising the integrity of the test. Overtime will also be used to rota off-shift dual-road driving examiners to provide further capacity. The waiting time to get a test date will vary depending on the chosen centre, and while there is limited availability between now and the end of August, additional slots will become available as new driving examiners continue to be appointed over the coming months when tests are cancelled and as more centres are able to offer tests on a Sunday. Due to the constantly changing position and the regular addition of new slots, the advice to customers is to keep checking the booking system for availability. If slots are not initially available at a customer's preferred test centre, they may wish to consider booking a test at another centre. I remain committed to minimising disruption and ensuring DBA's plan for the restoration of services is in hand. However, all driving test services across these islands are experiencing high demand with longer than usual waiting times, and we would ask customers for their continued patience. Thank you, Minister, um, for your answer. This is one of the issues since the beginning of the pandemic that I have received most correspondence about. And obviously, as a representative of a rural area in Mid-Ulster, with a, a lot of young people who have borne the brunt of the, the restrictions, there's a lot of frustration. They, they sort of depend on having a driving test to be able to get to work, to study, uh, for socialising, obviously, as well. I noted there you made reference to increased capacity at Cookstown becoming available at the end of this month, and you refer to limited availability between now and the end of August. I had a parent contact me at the end of May, the 29th of May, whose son had passed his theory test that day, went on to book his driving test, and the, the, the next practical test that he could get was for October, which is obviously over four months of a waiting time. I wonder if there is a difference in the, the waiting averages across the north and if there is an imbalance there. Obviously, Cookstown serves a, a, a wide area, uh, and I am conscious of that, but I am just concerned with the number of young so people that are here. And I thank the member um, for her question. And I appreciate the frustration among learner drivers, particularly uh, younger learner drivers, and that's why I took steps early on to extend the validity of the theory test pass certificate. Uh, as I outlined in my answer, we have put in a number of measures to increase capacity. That's through the recruitment of additional examiners 
over time, Saturdays and Sunday slots, and also the provision of additional test centres. Uh, what I would say is that I would encourage customers to continue to check availability because additional slots are becoming available. And to reassure mem the member, as I said, since we opened up the driving test facility to all customers, we have conducted um, over you know, 6,000 odd tests, and that is 35 per cent up on our monthly average pre-COVID. So to reassure you, we're taking all the steps um, that we can, but please encourage your constituents to continue to check availability online because slots will continue to become available. Just before I invite Pat Catney, could I just remind members, could they quickly move to their questions? Pat Catney. Thank you. Thank you, Minister, for your answer so far. Minister, I was wondering if you could update the House on the new test centres in order to have capacity? Um, the DVA has identified four additional departmental buildings in Belfast, Coleraine, Cookstown and Oma, which can be used as temporary driving test centres if they are needed in the local area, and there is sufficient driving examiner capacity. Arrangements are being finalised in this regard, and the DVA anticipates that temp those temporary test centres at Cookstown and Oma will open for appointments later this month. Call Trevor Clark. Speaker, and, uh, can I thank the member for actually asking this question? Because I agree, this has been a, a main concern for many people, particularly young drivers. But also within your department, the responsibility for taxis. What impact is the backlog having on the taxi industry, given that they are having difficulties getting people to come into the industry as well? I thank the member um, for his question, and of course, we opened up the driving test facilities to taxi drivers uh, as well, so that that um, test is available to new-time taxi drivers. Uh, I have been made aware of, over many years now, a decline in the number of taxi drivers that are working within the industry, and I have no doubt that that has been compounded um, by COVID. I'm also of the view that many taxi drivers will not be paying for their licences until they're very clear in the easement of restrictions and how that is going to impact on them as well. In addition to that, um, very recently my officials met with representatives of the taxi industry to hear their concerns and I'm very committed to working in partnership with them. I was pleased during the pandemic to be able to provide regulatory support to taxi drivers and also financial support as well. And of course we will continue to work through or work with the industry as we reopen our economy here as a result of the pandemic. Nicole Roy Beggs. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I welcome news that there's been an increase in capacity of 35%, Minister, but given the level of the current backlog and that new students will be completing their theory tests, what has been the estimation before we will have got caught up? How long will it take before a more normal waiting time will be there for someone applying for a test? I thank the member for his uh, question, and I'm aware that my DVA officials are actually attending um, the committee, I think it is this week, and so they will be able to go into the detail of this issue with him um, with other members. I think it's very difficult to um, estimate precisely the volume because we don't know when people pass their theory test, when they will actually be going for their practical driving test. Uh, but what I can assure the member through the recruitment of additional examiners, additional test centres, you know, the overtime, rota, Saturdays and Sundays, we are doing everything that we can to maximise our capacity to minimise the disruption to our customers. But of course, it is a public facing service. And unlike all public facing services, as we emerge from this pandemic, there will be a longer waiting time than pre COVID. I call Jerry Kelly. I recognise that there are many unadopted alleyways in North Belfast and indeed across other areas. 
However, given the ongoing budget constraints facing my department, the main focus is on inspecting and maintaining the public road network that is currently adopted. I fully appreciate that antisocial behaviour occurs in some privately owned alleyways, which causes significant problems for the residents and businesses that live and work next to them. Although my department has no plans given the resource constraints to assume maintenance responsibilities for alleyways that do not contribute to the transport network, I have offered capital funding to councils to support local communities in taking greater ownership of their alleyways through a greening of alleyways programme. This funding, which is the first of its kind to come forward from my department, can be used for both unadopted and adopted alleyways. Thank you, Minister, for her uh, answer up tonight. And while I understand uh, there's always uh, uh, difficulties around uh, budgets, uh, she will be very aware of in North Belfast a number of these, and she's pointed out herself in her answer, a number of these uh, problems you, get, you don't get access for uh, residents. And the problem is uh, I'm concerned that there isn't even a, uh, a list of what these unadopted alleyways are. And I don't think that that would be a huge budgetary uh, problem to deal with. And once we get, we were flying blind. Once we get that, so I'm asking the minister, will she bring uh, uh, some sort of uh, list forward? And then um, think I, I understand there's always problems with budget. How we deal with this problem? Because she will know in North Belfast that this is a huge problem. I thank the member for his question, uh, and I am aware that this is an issue uh, in North Belfast. I very recently, actually, in my capacity, had a walk around with um, the Waterworks residents as well, and this was a particular issue um, that we discussed. So I'm very mindful of the impact in North Belfast, but right across um, the north. I suppose the difficulty to date, and this is a difficulty that hasn't been resolved by any of my predecessors, is the fact that the department doesn't currently have responsibility for unadopted alleyways, so therefore it doesn't have officers recording um, this information. But what I'm very keen to do is try to provide some solution in the here and now, which is why we have created the Greening Alleyways programme. And I would encourage MLAs to ask their residents and their communities who are you know, keen to have the Greening of Alleyways programme to contact their local councils so that we may be able to try to work together in partnership to transform these places. I call Matthew O'Toole. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. And just on that subject, uh, Minister, I welcome the fact that the, uh, that the Greening Alleyways uh, scheme has been set up by the Department. Uh, she said that um, uh, local, um, uh, local constituents should contact their um, local authorities in order to make that happen. Is she um, confident that all local authorities are aware of this scheme and are actively promoting it to residents? Because I know there are lots of constituents of mine in South Belfast who would be keen to lobby uh, Belfast City Council in order to support this scheme. Yeah, I thank the member for his question. Um, I actually became aware of the Green and Alleyway programme or pilot project actually in, in North Belfast um, through the work of the Ardoin Association and they transformed a number of entries in Ardoin, uh, concrete horrible spaces where people didn't feel safe into just green oasis. So I became really inspired by that and then when I took up the post as, as Minister I had the pleasure of meeting residents up in Rossmoor in the South Belfast area and again seeing what communities did when they came together to transform their alleyways and that's why I was very keen as Minister for Infrastructure to try to support their efforts because they actually deliver multiple benefits. They transform a space 
Um, they green a space, which in many of our inner um, city neighbourhoods in particular we do not have. They also improve community safety. I am mindful that the one in South Belfast was actually in response to burglaries in the area. And they also tackle social isolation. They brought communities together and built social cohesion. Um, so, as I have said, I have set up the fund. Um, my officials are working with a number of councils to help them shape their proposals, and I expect to receive applications for funding in the near future. And I would encourage communities who want to be involved in this type of project to contact their councils in the first instance so that we can work together to deliver this. Call Paula Bradshaw. On Friday afternoon, or sorry, Friday morning, I was doing a walk around in the Holy Lands with some, some residents and they were reporting that in the weekend before they'd found a, a couple, young couple, and they were injecting each other into the toes um, with heroin, uh, very, very harrowing. So we're here talking about unadopted alleyways. There are a lot of alleyways where this very serious antisocial behaviour is taking place, and one of the solutions is designing that out and with the incorporation of the alley gates. And I know councils have a restricted budget around this, but I'm just wondering: is your department putting in any money to support the rollout of alley gates? Thank you. I thank the member um, for her question. Um, as she rightly points out, alligating schemes come through the councils. I think there is a role for the PCSPs and perhaps the Department of Justice as well. And I am keen to come in to see where the Green and Alleyways programme can assist with that. In respect of the issues in the Holy Lands, and there are a number of issues affecting uh, residents and people who live in the Holy Lands, the, the Minister for Communities has actually set up an um, executive subgroup to deal with some of the issues in the Holy Lands, and I'm pleased to say that I'm part of that, and we're actually due to meet very shortly. Well, Trevor Clark. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I'm following on from the last question in relation to uh, alligators. I mean, and I want to support that. Uh, it, I mean, Minister, whilst you're referring to the council's responsibility, has your department not responsibility giving the use of adopted? Whilst this may be a bit unadopted, many of the areas that we're talking about is actually adopted areas that need to alligate. So there is a responsibility within your department. So what's your department specifically doing about those areas with antisocial behaviour? Yeah, I thank the member for his question, and I am not shying away from the Department's responsibilities in this area. A number of my officials right across Northern Ireland attend multi-agency meetings. They attend meetings organised by local representatives of all political parties. They attend meetings with community representatives uh, as well as part of a multi-agency response. I think the challenges that we are facing and our communities are facing in today's society uh, come from a number of different strands. Uh, Ms Bradley talked about drug taking, for example, which is, yes, a PSNI uh, issue. There's also issues around dumping, which would be the council, and then there's issues that fall to my department as well. So I think that we best address these problems when we work together, and certainly I'm keen that my officials play their part in doing that. And I call Jim Allister. I continue to engage with the Union Connectivity Review, which is aimed at improving transport links across these islands. I understand that Sir Peter Hendy, the chair of the review, plans to publish the final recommendations of the review before the end of the summer, and I look forward to further engagement before this occurs. I regularly attend DFT meetings with my counterparts in the devolved administrations in Scotland and Wales, and we look at ways to improve transport links across these islands. In addition, I am working with my uh, counterpart uh, on the island, Minister Ryan, on the All-Island Strategic Rail Review, which will allow us to consider our network across this island to view how we can improve it for everyone. We have a shared ambition for rail and commitment to tackling the climate emergency, and I am keen that we use this opportunity to consider how we can improve our rail network across the island of Ireland. 
This review will examine how we can connect our rail network to our international gateways through our ports and airports that will help improve connectivity across these islands. In the past two years, my department has also provided support to our seaports and airports to ensure connectivity was maintained during the pandemic and post-Brexit. The question was about what progress has been made. I didn't hear much progress. I heard a lot of talk about talk, but no action. And indeed, the fact that half the answer was devoted to answer, answering a different question about connections on the island of Ireland. The questions about inter-UK connections, and I didn't hear mentioned the key connection, the A75. Is the minister still so grossly disinterested in that that she doesn't even mention it? I thank the member for his question. Of course, he will have to put questions about the progress of the UK connectivity review to uh, Sir Peter Hendy, who is the chair of it. Uh, I think the question is why has there not been more progress made and why hasn't there been a greater level of engagement and respect for ministers with devolved authorities across these islands. But of course I will continue to engage as I always do across the islands. I believe that our challenges are best overcome when we do so. In respect uh, of the A75, I recognise the importance to the local economy of our strategic links with Great Britain and as the Minister for Infrastructure, part of my role is to provide support for our local businesses through the infrastructure priorities that I set in Northern Ireland and linkages beyond. It is my intention in the coming months to engage with the Cabinet Secretary for Transport, Infrastructure and Connectivity in Scotland to discuss issues of mutual interest. My officials are in contact with their counterparts in Transport Scotland and have noted the recent report, South West Scotland Transport Study Initial Appraisal, Case for Change, which has identified the need for improvements on the A75 and A77. And I am very clear that my officials will continue to work with their colleagues in Scotland as we transform and improve our infrastructure for everyone. At the risk of annoying you, could I refer very briefly back to the MOT question, because my car went through a test and retest in Newton Ards in recent days, and I have to say the professionalism and friendliness and willingness to help of the staff of the Jubilee Road needs to be recorded as exemplary. Uh, my question in terms of connectivity is with regard to Belfast City Airport, and to ask the Minister what she and her colleague, the Minister for the Economy, can do uh, to help the City Airport uh, survive this latest challenge with the collapse of Stobart Air. Mr Speaker, I thank the member for his very kind words and his feedback to officials. I know that that will mean a lot to them because they have been working under a very high pressurised environment. Um, whilst my department is not directly responsible for our connectivity, I remain committed to working alongside my executive colleagues, the finance and economy ministers, given our different responsibilities for our ports, and to consider cases for support for, from the executive for the aviation sector. And I have no doubt that we will have a discussion on the matter that the member has raised. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and it's clear to anybody who's listening properly that the minister is working east-west uh, as well as north-south. And I just wonder, in terms of the assistance you've got from London in relation to crucial projects, could the minister give us some indication of how much and or how little uh, actual fulfilling of promises and sound bites that the British government has made in this matter? The member raises a very important point, and we have all heard the promises of turbocharging infrastructure and from the British government, but unfortunately the slogans and the sound bites have not been backed up with action. And the member will know that this is a source of huge frustration for me and that I have written to, spoken and met with the British government on a number of occasions to press for the long-promised support that the British government has given to the people of Northern Ireland. 
It is long past time that the British government lived up to its commitments in New Decade, New, new Approach. In fact, it's long past uh, time that all of us, as parties who signed up to this agreement, honoured the commitments that we have made in that agreement and, importantly, to the people of Northern Ireland. Well, Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the Minister for her response. Uh, there is a need to engage with our, <coughs> pardon me, our Scottish counterparts in relation to the A75 and A77. That's of crucial importance. Um, in relation to the, the issue at hand here, there have been a lot of statements that came from the UK government, often on a Sunday, and then when there is obviously a political crisis they want to distract from, about commitments to UK Northern Ireland transport. Has one single penny? been committed to the Minister in terms of delivering that infrastructure that is required from the UK Government? One single penny committed? I thank the member for his question. Um, there has been uh, funding provided for part purchase of the low and zero mission of, bus of buses, which was part of the new decade new approach. But as the member will know, um, there are a number of critical infrastructure projects that are at the heart of new decade new approach, and there has been no funding provided for any of these projects, despite multiple representations uh, from myself as a Minister for Infrastructure, and also despite the multiple promises that are that continue to be made and that continue to be failed to be honoured. Nicole Cummins. The Minister for our answers uh, thus far. Uh, Akahar, uh, question four, please. Uh, the Damali Retail Park is a private development with an access onto the public road network at the A27 Armagh Road. The department therefore has no remit in relation to the existing traffic management arrangements for vehicles either within uh, or exiting the Damali Retail Park onto the Armagh Road. Officials would, however, be content to discuss any proposals brought forward by the retail park owners that might help alleviate any problems that may exist. Ms. Kimmins, supplementary. Welcome. I thank the Minister for her answer. And I am aware that it is a private development and have had engagements with both DFI officials and the developer or the private owner on this. Um, there, and there, are, there is a willingness to, to deliver um, that. I suppose the question I am asking the Minister is that the Armagh Road itself is particularly busy, and I would be asking the Department to consider any additional um, remedial measures they could put in place to alleviate this in the meantime, because we do need something done urgently. And I am uh, conscious of the fact that planning permission would, would need to be obtained for the, the developer to do that. I thank the member for her question. I am not aware of if she has had a very recent site meeting with my officials in respect to that. If she has not had a very recent one, I am happy to offer that up. If she has had a very recent site meeting, um, what I am alternatively happy to do is to go back to officials to raise this matter with them and then to provide you with an update in writing. And I call Justin McNulty. Yes, the Molly Retail Park's major issue in terms of the traffic uh, is a victim of its own success. I'm not sure what the previous member expects you to do, buying cars from using the roads. Um, but there is another issue there, Minister. Car enthusiasts, or petrol heads, as they're fondly referred to, often meet there uh, on a Sunday, a quiet Sunday, and local residents in Lisdrum or Furlongs or Larchmont are tortured by this. And whilst we all appreciate and respect people's uh, right to celebrate their, the beauty of their, their engines, um, can, is there anything to be done to control the noise levels at that retail development? Um, this, is, this is a problem um, not just in the members' constituency, but I'm also very mindful in areas like Portrush 
but it's a persistent um, problem as well, and it can have a very negative impact on local communities. Uh, while largely it, uh, this would fall to the PSNI, uh, what I am content to do is to raise this matter with my officials to see is there something that we could do working in partnership with the PSNI and the local community to try to address the issue. And I call Pashin. Question five. Since my announcement uh, in October recommending planning approval for the redevelopment of Caseman Park, my officials continue to make considerable progress towards issuing the final planning decision. Departmental officials have been working at pace to progress the required planning agreement, which must be in place before the final planning decision can issue. Anyone who cares about this important project will want it to be processed properly, and that is exactly what my department is doing and at pace. The Departmental Solicitor's Office and the GAA's legal team remain in regular contact in respect of the details of the planning agreement, and both parties are keen to reach agreement as soon as possible. I look forward to the final planning decision issuing for this project, as I am the view that the project will give a real boost to sport across our island, the local economy, and finally give the GAA its home in Ulster. Will the Minister be aware of the importance of the Casement Park development and how long it has taken to get to this stage? And while I acknowledge and fully support the need for a rigorous uh, planning process, I mean this application, uh, we're still waiting on this application despite it being given the go-ahead next year. So can the Minister give a commitment that she will ensure this is dealt with as soon as possible so that there's much needed investment uh, delivered into the heart of West Belfast and that the GAA community get the ground they've been waiting on for many, many years now? Good. Thank the member for his question, and he's right. The GAA has waited far, far, far too long uh, in having its home uh, in Ulster, and so I remain committed to ensuring that my officials progress this application properly and um, at pace. Uh, in fact, I'm very mindful that um, your party colleague and constituency colleague Paul Maskey recently met with my officials and thanked them for their hard work on this application. Um, the application is currently with Belfast City Council for a period of consultation. I'm sure Belfast City Council will return that to us in the quickest possible time frame. And of course, my officials then will continue to progress it um, as quickly um, as, as possible and, of course, uh, in line with all of the statutory requirements. Minister, championship season beckons, and uh, it would be a terrible shame to think that there are so many Antrim players who are on the, riding the high in the crest of wave in terms of success or just recently promoted will not get the opportunity to play on the hallowed turf of Caseman Park. Minister, it's fantastic that we eventually have a minister who is passionate about the delivery of Caseman Park. Can you tell me, once the statutory processes are complete, how much has the community, community's minister um, provided in terms of funding for Kismet Park? I thank the member for his question, and I know this is an, an issue that is close to his heart. And of course, planning remains a matter for my department. And the question, though, of the funding, um, that is a, a matter for the department and um, for uh, communities. And so the member may wish to raise that with the communities minister. And I call John O'Dowd. Can I call you case of Rochelle? Question number six. With your permission, Mr. Speaker, I will answer <coughs> questions six and seven together. Um, I recognise that there has been historical underinvestment in the maintenance of our road network for a significant number of years and that many rural roads are in need of repairs. 
In response, I allocated £12 million uh, of my 2020-21 capital budget to a roads recovery fund, of which £10 million was specifically directed towards, towards rural roads. Following the success of last year's fund, I am setting up an enhanced fund in 2021-22, and therefore I have allocated £17 million of my capital budget to a roads recovery fund, of which £15 million is specifically directed towards rural roads. Rural roads will therefore benefit from a 50% increase in funding in this initiative, reflecting my commitment to continue this important work to improve connectivity and to benefit rural communities. For his answer, and rural dwellers will welcome any additional funding uh, for rural roads, given the state that some of them are in. Given our uh, statement this morning, will our investment be impacted by our statement this morning, uh, and will rural dwellers have to wait longer now for their rural roads to be repaired? I thank the member for his question, and it's a very important um, question. And members will be aware of the important statement that I made to the House this morning. Um, I am advised that the legal challenges um, that are not expected to impact on my enhanced road recovery fund for £17 million this financial year or the £15 million uh, of that fund that is going to be targeted specifically at our rural roads. Nicole Jonathan Buckley. And undoubtedly, this is an issue in which all members that represent some form of rural constituency will face. The condition of many of our rural roads is substandard at best, and the additional funding is welcomed and indeed needed. Could the Minister outline uh, timescales of delivery? Quite often, when we do see schemes like this, where additional money is coming forward for rural roads, it's right at the end of a financial year, and we face all of those pressures, whereas we could perhaps put that uh, into a more sequenced type uh, rollout to ensure that we get as best a cover as possible, and how will they be prioritised? I thank the member um, for his question. So I was very keen that we gave as much certainty as possible. So that's why I've increased the rural roads budget by 50% at the start of the financial year. In terms of the prioritisation of works, we submit reports to uh, every council, which details all of the roads that will be subject to improvement, and that is then put into the public domain. So I would encourage the member to have a look, and that will then list all of the roads that will be addressed. And that ends the uh, period for a list of questions, members. And we now move on to 15 minutes of topical questions. I call Rachel Woods. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, the minister will be aware of many large infrastructure projects currently underway um, or intending to be within the planning system. So, can I ask the minister how our department currently ensures that these projects are climate-proofed, and do they? I thank the member for her question and at her very kind invitation I attended the APG uh, on climate change as well to discuss the important role that the planning system has to play and at that meeting we discussed the fact that sustainability um, is at the heart of the um, strategic plan and policy statements that my department undertakes uh, and we work very closely with the councils and the member will also know that we're engaging in a review of the planning act um, as well so there's a number of strands of work that we are engaged in we are also working closely um, with councils in respect of environmental governance and work streams there so i think it's very important that we embed climate action in everything that we do um, and in the approach that we all take as ministers at senior level, but also at local government and as citizens as well. 
Rita Wood, supplementary. Thank you, and I thank the Minister for her answer and also for her time attending the All Party Group on Climate Action. It was very much appreciated. Um, it does seem, though, that we are all a wee, we are a bit behind with not adequately climate-proofing the now, let alone the future, to meet our climate needs without um, sort of redoing how, how we're doing planning. So, can I ask the Minister what she is doing to improve the statutory duties in place that will ensure large infrastructure projects are properly climate-proofed? to prevent a scenario where we are locking ourselves in to future emissions that could have been avoided? Yeah, the member again raises a very um, important point. And as a Minister for Infrastructure, I've been very clear that climate action is a priority for me. Uh, that was one of the reasons why I took the short, sharp external review into the York Street Interchange uh, project, for example, to ensure that we were future-proofing that and we were very conscious um, of the climate crisis. It's also one of the reasons why I believe that we need to have an independent infrastructure commission here in Northern Ireland to ensure that we bring in the experts, uh, that we have that open engagement with the public and that we build uh, infrastructure that is inclusive, that it is sustainable um, and that we have a long-term vision that aligns with the ambitions that we should have as a society around tackling the climate emergency. So trying to come at this from a, a number of fronts and have been doing extensive engagement with executive colleagues on the need for an independent infrastructure commission and I really hope that we can get to a point where we have the consensus to move this vitally important piece of work on. Nicole Paula Bradley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Minister, could I ask if you could possibly give us an update on the success of the 20 mile per hour uh, zones around our schools? Yes, so um, uh, in the past financial year, um, uh, I committed to providing 20 miles per hour zones outside 103 schools. Um, a number of those are functional, the rest will be. Um, fully operational um, later on this year. Um, I'm very committed to rolling this out to many more schools in the new financial year, and officials are currently working up details. So uh, my ambition would be to at least meet the total number of schools that we were able to do in the last financial year, because it is, it, you know, it's a, I think it's a really good scheme. It creates a safer environment for children to be able to walk and cycle um, to school. And it also um, helps to get the message out there about responsible, safe um, driving. So for all of those reasons, we remain committed to it and look, very, or look forward to rolling it out to many more schools in the new financial year. Supplementary, Paula Bradley. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I thank the Minister for her answer. Um, then, just to add on to that, then, has the Minister looked any further at rolling this out further within residential areas? You and I represent an area where there is possibly, for many, not a lot of green space, and children are out playing in their streets and their roads. Um, then also, uh, I know in our Newton Abbey side of North Belfast, we've got Fadigan and Merville. Both have 20 mile an hour, but it's guidance only. So is there any way that any of the guidance only are going to be legislated for? I thank the member for her question, and this is an issue that I have looked at. The department carried out two pilot studies um, into the issues of 20 miles per hour in residential um, areas. Uh, the findings of that study strongly indicate that for them to be effective, the 20 miles per hour signage needs to be accompanied by traffic calming measures, so the speed bumps that we would know in our areas. So, I suppose what I'm trying to weigh up is trying to make sure that we can have uh, effective schemes in place. Um, and so we will continue to kind of analyse the, the findings of that study to see what would be the best way of taking this forward. But I'm very much focused in putting our energies into rolling out the 20 miles per hour in our schools as a matter of priority. Nicole Shanir Bradley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, um, could I ask the Minister for an update on the Narrow Water Bridge project? 
Um, the, the member um, has been a, a tireless campaigner for this project, and I know that the Narrowater Bridge is one that she's very passionate about. I am pleased to update the member that, alongside my engagement with local stakeholders, I've also met with local councils and I am continuing to work with the Irish Government. The member will know that this project is a new decade, new approach a commitment, and it is vital that all of us work hard to see it delivered. I am pleased that there is political will, north and south, to get Narrow Water Bridge delivered. This is an exciting, iconic, transformative project for the people of South Down and beyond, and it is critical that the positive partnership working continues, and I can assure the member of my commitment to do just that. Senior Bradley, supplementary. I thank the Minister for her reply. Um, the Minister, I know, is aware of how Narrow Water Bridge is critical stimulus, economic stimulus to the South Down region, but particularly in a post-COVID environment. And I'd be eager to know, is it the intention, um, or does the Minister know, if it is the intention that the, the project will be discussed at the North-South Ministerial Council meeting? And also, has she any concerns, like I have, that any delay in the appointment of the First and Deputy First Minister might hinder projects such as this? I, I mean, I've said it a number of times in this House, not only is, a is it a requirement under the Good Friday Agreement, but we really will only overcome our challenges when we work in partnership north-south, east-west, and also within the executive. I think it's deeply concerning that at this point in time uh, we don't have a joint we don't have our joint first ministers, so our executive can't meet, even though we were due to discuss really important issues and take important decisions on Thursday, not least in respect of the pandemic. I also think it's very concerning that we uh, are sitting now not clear on whether we will have a North South Ministerial Council meeting on Friday. Uh, and I had hoped that we would have been able to discuss the Narrow Water Bridge um, at this at that particular meeting and a number of us have been highlighting concerns over many, many weeks about the absence of the North-South institutions and the impact that that would have. So I sincerely hope that we move back from this point of crisis. I don't think people want crisis politics. What they want is their politicians working together, honouring their commitments, delivering on NDNA, tackling the waiting list, tackling, tackling the housing crisis uh, and tackling the climate crisis. I call Colin and uh, it's been touched upon already, Minister, and thank you for your answers. But can you update us in relation to the work you're doing on planning policy and how it relates to the impact on countryside? Thank the member for his question. So we're, we're taking uh, a number of steps in respect of uh, the planning system at present. Uh, we're doing a lot of work with the local councils around environmental governance. Uh, we have a, a cross-departmental planning forum, which is very much focused on improving consultee response times. We have a new planning portal. Um, as well. And we're also looking at planning policy. Uh, members will know that I've announced a review of renewable energy planning policy, um, and officials are also um, giving consideration uh, to uh, PPS 21, which has a particular impact in the countryside. So that piece of work is ongoing as well. Uh, on top of all of that, I'm very committed to doing what I can to tackle regional imbalance. And so within that, I have to pay, and I will be paying particular attention to our rural communities, as demonstrated by the increase in funding for the rural Roads Fund in particular. Colin Miller, new supplementary. Uh, Gorma Agat, 
Leishenaira, and thank you for that. And I, I welcome your uh, reference to PPS 21. It is obviously particularly crucial. Are you planning to take forward any changes in relation to that, and in particular in relation to the uh, limit of only one dwelling house within 10 years? Because clearly there's a, there's a need for rural communities to be able to get plan of permission to stay in their local community. I thank the member for his question. And again, you know, this is about um, sustainable development balanced along the needs to have sustainable rural communities. So I have asked officials to do a piece of work for my consideration and how we might take that forward. There's also the opportunities through the local development plans um, as well. So we have, I think, a number of opportunities here to help enhance rural living. And you know, I'm I'm determined that my officials can play their part in that. Um, it was a pleasure to cycle alongside the Minister recently at Blurris in my constituency of Lagan Valley. I welcome an announcement today of £20 million for the Blue and the Green Fund. Can she advise how much of this will go on active travel projects across Northern Ireland? Um, yes, it was, it was a pleasure to, to meet with you on the Blurris and, and, and watch you vigorously cycle past in your Lycra pat, um, a scene I will never forget. You don't need so, to share that, Minister. <laughs> that's everyone scarred for life. Um, so, yes, the, the member's correct. I have announced uh, the £20 million Blue Green, Green Fund for this financial year, and at the heart of this fund will be an £11 million pot for active travel project across Northern Ireland to get schemes on the ground to ensure that active travel is a safer and more attractive option for people getting around. I have wanted to see these changes realised since taking up uh, the post uh, as Minister, but with the added challenges of COVID, the truth is not enough has been done and we now need to change that. And that is why I am investing and focusing my team on delivery, getting projects on the ground and making sure active travel becomes an option for many more families um, across the north. So this year I'm pleased to say that I'm investing more in the active travel agenda than I did last year or indeed by anyone in previous years. Supplementary podcast. Um, I thank the Minister for her answers and I welcome her investment to get delivery on the ground. I'd like to take forward more green projects locally, Minister, especially in active travel. Can she or her walking and cycling champion meet with me to explore options for delivery in Lagan Valley? I would be delighted to meet with the member, um, or if he prefers, if he wishes to meet with the walk and cycling uh, champion, so that we can discuss his ambitions for um, active travel in Lagan Valley. I'm happy to meet with him and to work with him in partnership. Um, can I ask the minister if she has any update um, around the traffic calming measures at the McDonald's restaurant on the McKinstry Road? I know this is an issue that the member cares very deeply about and has made a number of representations to me and my uh, officials. Um, the department has commissioned its partner consultants to carry out a feasibility study to consider potential improvements to pedestrian facilities at the McKinstry Road roundabout following the opening of the McDonald's restaurant and drive through The feasibility study is taking a two-stage approach. The first stage is a high-level overview of possible improvements, with the second stage focusing in more detail on preferred options. While a draft stage one report has been received by officials, the consultants are still working on more detailed options as part of phase two. At present, it is expected that the consultants will report back on progress at the end of this month, at which point the department can consider the best way forward. 
Um, to the Minister for, for that answer. I suppose it's just to say there was another car accident um, on that road a, a number of days ago, so it's obviously still um, a major worry. And there's another hotspot in the area right beside a primary school that we're worried about, Our Lady Queen of Peace. So I know that the Minister's schedule is, uh, I'm sure, extremely busy, but um, would love to get the opportunity to get you out just on, on site to show you around some of those areas to see how we can progress, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, and I was um, very sorry to hear about the, the latest accident there. There clearly is an issue um, on this road, uh, and so I would be more than happy, once we get the report back at the end of this month, I'd be more than happy to meet with the member on site. Members, time is up. Members, please take your ease for a moment or two.